I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by... Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. They should not silence the voice of the victims and survivors, nor deny public knowledge and accountability for such crimes of rape and sexual slavery during the Second World War. And that was, Amina, the significance of the Women's Tribunal. And I say it now because even today, our women should not lose hope. Those who had been victims and women around the world who had been victims of sexual slavery, of rape and mass rape and other forms of violence that they suffered during the conflict and the war, there is always a venue for justice. Salam, dear listeners. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to part two of our wonderful conversation with Inday Sahor. I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from Manila. Last time, we really had a frank discussion on what's happening in Gaza the impact of conflict on women and children, and much of the work that Indai Sahor has been doing, particularly and most recently in Papua New Guinea, where she worked with community level, trying to engage the women, getting them capacitated so that together they can help address the tribal conflicts that are happening at the community level. And where we ended is interesting as we have commemorated the anniversary of UNHCR 1325 on Women, Peace, and Security. Now, let's welcome back to She Talks Peace, our dear friend and champion of Women, Peace, and Security, Miss Indai Sahor. Welcome back, Indai. I'm glad to be back and I'm really, you know, um, so elated that we are really looking at the issues on women, peace and security in different angles because that is what we should do, that 
when she talks peace, we need to also be critical minded. You know, we have to look at where we can make our work better. And I think your forum really gives us the avenue to share our experiences, to share our thoughts, and to look at the current trends, you know, that we can continue learning from the approaches that have given certain sectors of our society, I would say, the power to move forward in addressing issues in times of peace and in times of conflict. Absolutely, Indai. You said that we need to rethink, mm. reframe strategies and the current focus on engaging women in peace and security, that we should be really looking at their full participation in humanitarian responses and peace building at the local level. And of course, you highlighted how there is no peace without justice. So tell me, uh, Indai, in your experience, in your travels and your work in so many areas of conflict, where is justice in women, peace and security? Well, thank you for that very, very good question. Because I think we should continue to ask that. Because as I was saying earlier, and this is, you know, just to remind our audience again, that this is the anniversary of Women, Peace, and Security. I think it's the 23rd anniversary. Now, 23 years later, since we push for, you know, Security Council Resolution 1325, where are we now? Why haven't we been talking about having justice for women who had been victims and survivors of conflict. There is a lot to examine in this area because of the fact that it is not in the language that we have introduced our women leaders. And I think, Amina, that's the challenge on the first place. Yeah? Yeah. Us. We need to challenge ourselves on the first place because we did not introduce the language of to demand justice. Remember, we were always pushing women to be in that negotiating table. Right. But we forget along the way that there were sufferings, there were mass rapes during conflict and during the war, and women have been displaced or become refugees in the process, and the suffering that goes with it is not months. We're talking of years, you know, and many of these issues are not addressed, even though Certain sectors of the United Nations, like UNFPA, for example, do address gender-based violence in the camps, in the refugee camps, in the IDP camps, mm -hmm. looking at the issue of women, victims, and survivors. And Amina, I always say use victims slash survivors. Why? Yeah. Because some of the victims are dead, you know, but we have to honor yeah. them and not only the survivors. So I always advocate when we are writing and talking that we say victims last survivors because some of the victims of the same atrocities are already gone or dead, but they are still entitled to justice that goes with the campaign that we should be doing for women who had been, you know, victims and survivors of the conflict. So I'm saying that we need to bring back the language of justice in our advocacy on women, peace, and security. Because as we have discussed earlier, we are talking about the humanitarian context, right? That how we should look at our work within women, peace, and security 
to strengthen our engagement in the humanitarian action, in the humanitarian response. So what does that mean? Humanitarian response or emergency humanitarian response is about saving lives immediately for women who have been trapped in the conflict, you know, for women and men who have been pushed into a situation that they have become victims and survivors of the conflict through different forms, be it sexual violence, be it torture, or in many occasions, some of them have died. So the question here is that much as we are trying to address this issue in refugee camps, in the IDP camps, where women NGOs engage in protection, they engage in psychosocial support for women, uh, victim survivors of rape or sexual violence, where they are looking at also the legal aspect of this, as well as the justice mechanism. We have to relook at the structure of the humanitarian action where women are, you know, where are we in that? So that's the first uh, question that we need to do. Talking about um, the concept of justice and uh, who have uh, passed on already. You were mm. part of this uh, tribunal mm. in uh, Japan. Yes. Uh, looking at the cases of uh, women who had been enslaved, who were sexual slaves and who were uh, raped yeah. during World War II. Yes. What has happened to you know the justice for those women? Because in the Philippines, we of course yeah. have our own, the Malaya Lolas. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And the other women who have petitioned, Sidao, I believe, to get justice. And our government is supposed to respond to their uh, petition because, you know, the Sedao has actually aside, uh, sided with the with these women who were forced into sexual slavery. So what mm-hmm. is going to, to happen uh, in Dai based on your experience with the tribunal in Japan? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for asking that question, Amina. I'm really glad that you uh, brought that forward into the forefront of this, um, of this podcast. Well, first of all, as I was saying, you know, justice is very important for women. And in my experience working with the former comfort women in nine countries, these were the women who became sex slaves. Yeah. They were raped and yes. sex slaves during the Second World War. We are talking here of not only the women in the Philippines, uh, as in the Malaya Lolas, but also women from China women from South Korea, women from North Korea, women from Indonesia, East Timor, Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, and even in Japan, you know, where yeah. we, and women from the Netherlands even, because they were in Indonesia at the time of the Second World War. But mm-hmm. this was when the Comfort Women came out uh, in 1993, they had been in silence for 50 years. For 50 years, they never talked about it. Until one day, Kim Haksung came out and said, I want to tell my story before I die. And that is where we, the advocates and the activists of those women who, you know, were victims during the Second World War, decided that, no, we should demand justice. This is not the end. The victims and the survivors are still alive. There is no end to seeking justice. 
but the uniqueness of what we did was not only to document the testimonies and the sufferings of the women, but we link that immediately to the violations of international law and humanitarian law. Now, if we go back a little bit to what happened after the Second World War, as we all know, if you go back to our history, the United States and the Allied forces set up the International Military Tribunal for the Far East, which prosecuted the Japanese for war crimes. But this international tribunal, the same as the Nuremberg Tribunal, did not prosecute rape and mass rape that happened during the Second World War. So I could really say that the historic significance when we organized the Tokyo Comfort Women War Crimes Tribunal is really to put on the record the failure of the Far East Tribunal to prosecute crimes of sexual violence and sexual slavery as egregious violation punishable under international humanitarian law. And that made all the difference because we had to acknowledge the failure of the states, yeah, that includes the allied forces, to acknowledge its responsibility. They should not silence the voice of the victims and survivors, nor deny public knowledge and accountability for such crimes of rape and sexual slavery during the Second World War. And that was, Amina, the significance of the Women's Tribunal. And I say it now because even today, our women should not lose hope. Those who had been victims and women around the world who had been victims of sexual slavery, of rape and mass rape and other forms of violence that they suffered during the conflict and the war, there is always a venue for justice because there is international law and humanitarian law, that, which is the laws of war that protects civilians. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Inday, as you very well know, our Malaya Lolas, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, women who are already in their 80s and 90s and many have passed away uh, when they succeeded in getting their petition yeah. and supported by the UN. Our government had earlier responded that since the Philippines had already signed a treaty on mm-hmm. reparations, yeah. our hands are tied. What do you say to that? What should the Philippine government be doing to recognize the 
violations, the human rights violations that have been inflicted on, on these women? Well, the Malaya Lolas, I am really proud to say, Amina, that I am the first one to discover the Malaya Lolas way back in 1997. So, oh, wow. Yeah, actually, the first time the Malaya Lolas came out to tell the mass rape in Mapanike, they came to my office because at that time we were working with Lola Rosa and other comfort women. Mm -hmm. There were around maybe 15 to 20 women. They were in uh, two jeepneys that traveled all the way from Mapanike to Manila to meet with me. And I was actually taken aback when they all arrived and told me their stories. I mean, we, the whole day we were there documenting their stories. And that was the beginning of the Malaya Lolas. And actually, I brought most of them to Tokyo to be part of the Women's Tribunal. They were the only mass rape that was um, recognized during the Tokyo Women's War Crimes Tribunal. So I'm really happy to say that I was there in the beginning and the development of the Malaya Lolas. It was a long story, but a beautiful story of women who really came out to tell their story. Now, what we need to recognize with the Malaya Lolas was our other colleagues here in the Philippines and other lawyers took on mm -hmm. their issue to another level. First, they demanded right. and brought the issue here to the Philippine Supreme Court. But our Philippine Supreme Court have said that, you know, the reparations was already given by the San Francisco Treaty of 1948. Right. So therefore, we have to abide for that. But the next step, which is the brilliant step, is that the lawyers who helped the Malaya Lolas brought this issue to CEDO, CEDO, the Convention right. for the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, just this right. March 1993. And we should yes. be happy to say that the Philippines is the first country to bring the issue of password crimes to the CEDO. And that for the first time in the history, the landmark resolution by the optional protocol on CEDO is the first time in the history of CEDO that it recognized and put the national government to task for its accountability to give reparation and compensation to the Malaya Lolas. So it is a landmark, you know, we have to recognize it. It is a landmark achievement that we in the Philippines contributed to the CEDO. Later mm -hmm. on, other countries can use this as a reference of what happened to them, let's say, in other countries and say, in the case of the Philippines, their government give them, you know, compensation and reparation. So going back to your question, Amina, what should the Philippine government do? I think the Philippine government is very open to give the compensation and reparation and instruct the other department in our government to support the remaining comfort women. The question I have to put to you, Indai, mm -hmm. should it be the Philippine government who will compensate these women or should you really be pushing for Japan yeah. to... <laughs> Be the one to provide restitution, at least a uh, an apology for what happened. Because I, I'm sure you know that uh, South Korea, for instance, was successful in mm -hmm. 
having Japan address that issue. I mean, the uh, issue of comfort women is in the National Action Plan on Women, Peace, and Security of Korea. Yeah. So mm-hmm. should our government take the burden or should our government really be pushing Japan to do something about it? That's an excellent question, Amina. Very excellent. Because my friends in Japan, actually, when the resolution of SIDO came about, they were not very happy about it. Because my friends in Japan were saying it is the accountability of the Japanese government to give compensation, reparation, and restitution to the comfort women. So that's the other side of the book, as we would say. But on the other hand, for since 1993 till today, you know, the struggle with Japan has been intense, you know, several times, or I would say three, at least three prime ministers, I have met two of them, have apologized to the comfort women for what happened during the Second World War. But at the same time, they did not want to really admit it in the compensation procedure. What they wanted to do is more of an atonement. Yeah. Uh, so uh-huh. you and I very well know atonement is different from compensation mm-hmm. because compensation right. is a legal framework. Atonement is more of an emotional sorry to what happened. So the demand uh, that happened for many years that the comfort women have been pressuring, the comfort women of Asia had been pressuring Japan, was that you have to really compensate us. You have to admit that what happened to us was a war crime and a crime against humanity. And that is the significance of the Tokyo Women's International War Crimes Tribunal because it really stated that the government of Japan you know, is responsible for crimes against humanity, against the comfort women. So much as the, the Tokyo Tribunal is not binding because it was led by NGOs, the legal jurisprudence of the judgment of the tribunal, I would very well say, is now being used even at the International Criminal Court because the judgment of the Tokyo Tribunal is the most gendered interpretation of international humanitarian law. You know, I, I hope in die that, you know, a rape as a weapon of war is going to at least not be utilized in uh, all of these conflicts that we are seeing around us. I mean, my gut says, uh, I doubt it, mm-hmm. but uh, my heart hopes mm-hmm. that uh, saner minds are going to prevail and yeah. really focus on issues like that. And I was just thinking about what's happening in uh, in Gaza, this war being waged by the Israeli government on Palestine, equating Hamas with Palestine when Hamas is an organization and it is not the state of Palestine. When you look at what's happening in, in Gaza today, where is the justice in women, peace, and security? And what should the United States and its allies in the West, what should the United Nations be doing? Because looking at the statistics that was um, mentioned by UN Women in their website, I mean, almost half a million women and girls have been displaced because of the the fighting in Gaza. So where's the justice uh, there? 
And yeah. what should the international community be doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right now, I think what is really very sad and really sad because right in front of our eyes, we see the unfolding of genocide right in front yeah. of our eyes. Yeah. And, and crimes against humanity being committed. And a lot of international lawyers has been saying that that the international community has failed the people of Palestine because, you know, there is this conflict right in front of our eyes. We see it in Al Jazeera. We see it in other social media, how people are being prosecuted right in front of our eyes. And yet, sadly, sadly, the United States and the European Union and UK and other countries are just condemning it, but not enough is being done. So that's why the people around the world are rising up because they know what it means to be in the position of Palestinian. A number of the countries who have been in situations of war and armed conflict, they know what it means to be bombarded and to be bombed and probably to survive it. But most of the time, members of their families are being killed, if not maimed. So the challenge here, and this is really the sad part, because now we are inaugurating or we are, you know, looking at the anniversary of women, peace, and security. Right. And sometimes I'm feeling a little bit, you know, flabbergasted to say the least, that it has no effect anymore. Because we are not really yeah. What did we do? We have a UN resolution, which everybody is taunting that we will put the women into the forefront of any resolutions. And yet nothing has really come about it. And so we need to re-challenge. We need to redesign, uh, I mean, uh, our strategy. We need to, to look at where we are and where we should be. And one of my thoughts, you know, and I stand corrected, one of my thoughts, it's let's look at international law and humanitarian law and mm-hmm. hope that in all the violence and all the, the advocacy and campaign that we do, what was committed under international law? I think what's happening in Palestine, in Gaza right now, the media are openly saying this is a crime against humanity. We are seeing genocide being said in front of us. I mean, our own ambassador Teddy said we should kill all these Palestinian children. Can you imagine that, you know, such inhumanity and even the leaders of Israel are saying we should kill all the women and children and every living person inside Gaza. How can these people be openly saying that to the media that they will murder all these innocent people? Hamas is a non-state actor. That's true. They're a non-state, non-state actor, right? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But, you know, in the, the good thing is our Department of Foreign Affairs has issued mm-hmm. a statement distancing itself from the statement that was given by uh, Ambassador Teddy Boy Loxin, who's our ambassador to 
to the United Kingdom, saying that that was his personal statement and had absolutely nothing to do with the position that has been taken by our own government. Yeah. And, um, you know, but uh, having said that, um, I do agree with you that, that sometimes the situation looks dire for women, mm-hmm. girls around the world. And um, perhaps your approach, which is really to try and educate and capacitate women at the community level, mm-hmm. maybe that would be a more practical you know, step. Because if women in the, at the community level learn about their rights and learn how to fight for their rights, mm-hmm. then it will move from the bottom up and perhaps change is going to be more permanent that way. Is that one of the reasons why you're focusing now on uh, developing capacity at the community level in that? Yes. Well, thank you, Amina, because I think now we should look at where we can make impact the most. Yeah. And I think that is the, the kind of approach that we should look forward to, you know. And, you know, it's always two levels. You look at the approach at the local because that is where, you know, most of the people are affected. But at the same time, we also look at the the influence and the advocacy that we can do at the national and international level. It's never either or. But the people who suffer the most are the ones in the community who have to deal with the issue of the conflict itself, you know. So... That is why I think much attention should be given to conflict resolution in those communities involving the participation of women and the youth who will be the one who will carry on this structure. And then I think it's important also to interlink that to the policy of our government at the national level, whether they are doing it or not. You know, they're responding to the needs of the people or not. So you have to have that. But in terms of effort, first consolidate the local level. Because remember, women, peace, and security is movement building. It is not institutionalized. It is movement building, capacitating the people to understand their situation and how the conflict evolved and what is the power they have to end the conflict and to recover from the conflict. That is what you know, women, peace, and security is all about. It's the recovery after the conflict and that the community or the provinces or the whole region can recover, you know, as a whole. But, you know, there are elements towards that recovery that needed to be addressed. Compensation, reparations, transitional justice, all of that are elements that would constitute recovery, you know, because you have to address and put in the historical books what happened in the past so it would not happen in the future. Thank you so much for that, Indai. You're lifting my depression a little bit. <laughs> but uh, before we go, Indai, yeah. perhaps you have uh, final thoughts for our listeners or a call to action. What can our listeners who may think that they cannot do anything, what would be your call to action to our listeners regarding the importance of advocating for justice within the Women, Peace, and Security agenda? Well, I think first and foremost, I would say to our listeners, there is always something to do. It's not like we can do anything. You know, they say, if you keep quiet, you become complicit to the violence and the crime, right? That's what 
a lot of philosophers and historians are saying that I and that is why the she talks piece is really quite a good forum for this because there is no such thing as we can do anything and that we women or men should remain silent when we say something that is wrong we have investigated it we say what when it is wrong we say it as is right as what's mm-hmm. happening in palestine for example secondly we have to get engaged you know we have to really put our voices out there in different forums you know forums mm-hmm. like this uh, you know go and march out into the streets you know it's we have to activate our activism <laughs> activate our activism and go into the front line again you know i i remembered um one time a dear friend of mine asma jahangir from from pakistan you know when she was challenged in her report to the human rights council one of the things she said which i'll never forget she said i always go into the fringes of my mandate which means she always pushes the barrier so that she can be listened to and that is what we should do we should push the barrier we should reexamine international humanitarian law we should push uh, international law we should redesign international law to respond to the gender uh, needs of the of the country because international law is you know gender blind in many ways but we are here now because those who crafted it way before had no gender analysis but we are here now to do that and so therefore it's always about learning redesigning challenging you know and redefining that's what we did we redefined compensation reparation restitution atonement we have to redefine it in the context of those victims and survivors of conflict and we will have more of that this year not only in palestine but in ukraine and in africa and many other countries who are in conflict we should have our voices in solidarity but also direct support to those who have been suffering this horrendous war that is really unnecessary as you all know and yet you know we should push our governments to take a stand yeah and it's really important that at this point in time when you know you're seeing people being killed right in front of our eyes we cannot remain silent thank you so much for that um, indai dear listeners you heard indai sahor you may think that you're only one individual but if that one individual uses his or her voice to help right what is wrong to advocate for human rights to advocate for innocent civilians who are being affected traumatized by war then you have made a big difference because you know you remember what they say one drop of water is nothing but when hundreds of thousands millions of drops of water inundate you can see the flood of change happening in our society in our lands so thank you so much indai for uh, joining us for this two part conversation And dear listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope you had a riveting time in our discussion with uh, Indai Sahor. And but before we go, do give us a follow at She Talks Peace on our Facebook, Twitter, or X and Instagram to get updated on the latest episode releases. And do send in your thoughts, your ideas, your suggestions to Indai Sahor and uh, to us 
send it to shetalkspeacepodcast at gmail.com. Again, this is Amina Rasul at She Talks Peace. Thank you for joining us. See you in the next one. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.